I had uh, one of our families here, they're close friends of the Burchells. Uh, Q told me, Pastor, I think we're going to be leaving a little early today. And I said, well, do you want me to tell everybody? <laughs> he said, no, that's not necessary. That's not so uh, we, don't, we don't normally do that here. So if you leave early, I won't point it out. <laughs> Unless I feel particularly malicious at that point in time. But that's the only reason I do it. Uh, we've been involved in a study through the entire Bible. In fact, my wife calls it walking through the Bible. And today, we've moved all the way down to the New Testament. We've been talking about how in Genesis, God starts the process of helping people to understand that he would send his one and only son to provide a sacrifice for sin so that everyone who would respond to that sacrifice would have the opportunity to become literally a child of God. Jesus called it, become born again. You see, the scripture tells us over and over again that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So therefore, we must change this body into a brand new one. And the scripture tells us that at that point in time when those people die who have recognized that Jesus is Savior and Lord, who have depended upon him to take care of the problem of the penalty and the power of sin in their life, that those people will shed this body and take on a brand new one just like Jesus' body. One that's immortal, that will never decay, and never again will we have to deal with the issue of the loss of our loved ones. Today, we've moved all the way down to what are referred to as the Gospels. There are four different Gospels. Most of you know them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Exactly. So maybe you've got a handle on those things. Each one of those Gospels had a different intention that God had placed upon the heart and the mind of those who he had write them. Only the last Gospel that we refer to as the Gospel of Luke was written by somebody that was not an apostle, someone who lived and walked with Jesus. That particular gospel was put together as the other apostles came to him because Luke was a physician, a very educated man. And they said, you know, Luke, we need one person who has some smarts to write one gospel. And the reason they said that is because the other three were all uneducated men. They were men with very little background. Matthew was the closest and he was a tax collector. And we all know about the IRS, right? Okay, I'm not going to go there. Enough said. So God called Luke in, and Luke began to share with Mary and with Peter and with all the other apostles, and he put together a final depiction, a biography, if you would like, of who Jesus was and what he did. So all those Gospels were provided to us by God so that we could understand who he was, who Jesus was, and how we could respond to him. Now, Easter. Easter is an interesting time. It's a confusing time. What does the word Easter mean? You don't know because nobody knows. Nobody really knows. Someone said, oh, does it come from a, a, a word called estere, which is, a, which is a word for a particular Greek goddess who is the goddess of fertility. That kind of makes sense, doesn't it? The idea of spring and newness and new life. And that was one idea. Another one was that they had a bad translation of the high German language referring to the week of the white. And the week of the white was the week in which all the people would be baptized the week before Easter, and all these people would be baptized in white gowns. And so it's called the Week of the White, and it's transliterated Easter. It's out of the high German. So we go, oh, okay, it's interesting. The bottom line is this. God took the word Easter and turned it into a proclamation, a declaration of the truth that Jesus rose from the dead. And we call it Resurrection Sunday. 
a specific day in which we focus upon the truth that Christ has risen. And the church responds with, He is risen indeed. Christ is risen, is risen. You see, that truth resonates in our heart and our spirit. And we find ourselves going, that's what this is all about. That God has provided a person who could give himself as a sacrifice to destroy the power of sin that brings us to death and causes us to be involved in lies and lust and laziness and a variety of other sins that tear us apart and pull us down. That the Messiah would come the one who could save us from the penalty and the power of sin and would allow us the privilege of interacting with God Himself and experiencing this wondrous peace that only He can bring. And then lastly, He tells us that we could even become God's adopted child. That all those who responded to Him could become God's adopted child. And that's why Jesus uses the term over and over, born again. You can be born again when you recognize what he has done and who he is. You see, Easter's become kind of confusing. We have rabbits with eggs. How many rabbits do you know that lay eggs? And make baskets. I'm going, what do we come up with here? So we do an Easter egg hunt, and we kind of go into it. Oh, let's do an Easter egg hunt. My grandkids love Easter egg hunt. We're doing one this afternoon. We're going to have a great time, a lot of fun, and they're going to find special things inside the eggs that won't be yolk. <laughs> Praise God for that, right? Yeah. But it's confusing. It's a struggle. We have a confused society because we don't understand the simple truth about who Jesus is, about what he did, and what he came to proclaim to us. And that's what the Gospels are written for, to help us clear up that confusion, that misunderstanding about what Easter is and what it was all about. Today, what I want to do in the next 25, 35, 45, 55 minutes... Hey, I wore a suit today. I should be able to speed long, right? I put the jeans in the closet, and these are not really comfortable. The belt is kind of snug, and I'm going. But I did it because it's Easter. And I want to make that day. My, yeah, you like that? And I put on a yellow shirt. My wife, you know, said, yellow shirt, honey. You're going to match me. And then she wore blue with the yellow polka dot. And we do this because sometimes we get a little confused. We think Easter is about dressing up, and it's not. No, Easter is about glorifying God, about recognizing it's a special day, and that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, and that I want to, just as I would if you were having a wedding, I want to wear a nice suit declaring who he is and what he's done. And I could even wear a tie, but I said enough is enough. (laughs) And you guys did too. There's not too many of you with ties on. Because Easter is, is about new life. It's about hope. It's about peace. It's about reality. That Jesus came down here to deal with life. And to cause us to have an understanding of who he is and who God was. You see, the gospel in a nutshell is found in John chapter 3. Will you turn there with me? If you have a Bible with you, I want you to turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 is a particular chapter where we have probably the most famous verse in the Bible. 
And that particular verse is found in John 3.16. We're going to start with the first verse, though. It's chapter 3, verse 1. And that special verse talks about the wonder of who God is and how we can be born again, the necessity of it. You see, Jesus is talking to a Jewish rabbi who comes to him at night. Hmm. Comes to him at night so nobody knows that he's coming. And he says, okay, Jesus, I know you're doing these incredible things. What's it all about? Let's read that together. There was a Pharisee, and his name was Nicodemus. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he came to Jesus at night. And he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God because no one could perform the signs that you're doing if God was not with him. And Jesus turned to him and said, hmm, Verily, truly, I tell you, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Jesus is always doing that kind of stuff. He's trying to tell him how wonderful he is. And Jesus turns to him and says, unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is thrown off. Whoa, I had this whole speech I was going to give and suddenly I'm... uh, How can somebody be born again, he says. How can you be born twice? That's impossible. Jesus said, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit... Gives birth to spirit. And you shouldn't be surprised when he's saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. And that's the same way of anyone and everyone who's born of the spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus says, I don't get it. He said, you're Israel's teacher, you're a rabbi, and you don't understand these things? Very, verily, I tell you. This truth I bring to you. I speak to you of a testimony of someone who came from heaven down to earth. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you don't believe them. How then will you believe if I talk to you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus is telling us very clearly that he was in heaven before. He came down from heaven to testify to the truth of who God was, of who he was, and to deal with the issue of sin itself so that we could be born again. He's going to go on to say, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up on the cross. And then... He says this in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Stand with me. We're going to read that verse together. We've got it on the screen. You're looking at it. Okay, ready? Starting with you. You must be born again. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Father, we ask that today that you would speak this truth into our hearts and our souls and our spirit, that we might begin to understand it, respond to it, and listen. And we ask that in Jesus' gracious and holy name. Amen. Why don't you give somebody a hug before you sit down? Okay. Yeah. There you go. Ah, there you go. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. 
Sunday is a day for giving and receiving love. And God desires for us to be giving and receiving on a regular basis. Sunday's a day when ugly guys get to hug beautiful women. <laughs> and vice versa. Eh? It's a great day that God has set aside for us to remind us that God is love and all those who love Him will love others as well. You see, the essence of Easter is caught up in this particular verse. You see it at the football games, don't you? With the guy with the weird hair. He's got it laid out, John 3.16. And you're thinking, what a dumb thing to do. Until you find out that thousands and thousands of people find themselves going, where is that at? And they look up in the Bible and literally thousands of people have come to Christ through simply reading that verse. And the Spirit of God speaks to them and they go, oh my goodness, Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me. You see, the Scripture here tells us something simple. And it's this, that Jesus would do everything for you, but you could do nothing. Is anyone here able to be born again? Of course not. None of us can. All of us want to be. But we can only let that happen as a result of God working in our lives, of Jesus doing something spectacular, of the Holy Spirit grabbing us and changing us, as a result, Jesus says, of believing in Him and recognizing what He has done when He died on the cross. Jesus lived and died so you could be born again. So you could experience life now and new life after you leave this flesh and blood body. You could be born again. You notice three truths in the verse. The first one talks about God. God so what? Loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that's number two, so that everyone, that's you, you're in the verse, who believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. It begins to help us to understand that all of us were going to perish unless God did something special. Jesus is in the middle of the verse because he becomes the bridge between God and man, this reconciler, the redeemer for all of us. He separates B.C. from A.D., before Christ to the day of our Lord. And that bridge enables us to walk into heaven with Jesus at our side, with his scars in his hand as he holds on to ours. It's interesting that Jesus walks into heaven with scars in his hands, and we walk into heaven with no scars whatsoever. Our body is completely untouched, unblemished, perfect in every way, but Jesus' body continues to reflect the scars that brought forth life to each one of us. You ever wonder what happens when you die? Of course you do. All of us wonder. We all go, I wonder what's going to happen when I die. We especially wonder when we drive by that car wreck, that accident, and we look on the side and we see the blood flowing and we go, oh my goodness. And we think to ourselves, I wonder what will happen when I die. And we go to the funerals and we have an opportunity to remember somebody that we loved and we honor them. And they're gone. And we think, I wonder what will happen when I die. That's why the early church, every Easter, would constantly make this proclamation of life anew. And they would say, Christ is risen. And the church would respond, exactly. You see, Jesus came to tell us, first of all, and this is the first epiphany I want to give you, that God loves you. That's the first epiphany. Because all of us wonder, does God really love me? Does he really care about who I am? He must be angry at me because of the way I've lived my life. 
of how I'm responding or not responding to him. God must not even like me, much less love me. But Jesus tells us, as the representation of God here on this earth, that God loves you more than you could ever even love yourself. See what great love the Father lavishes on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. He is our Father. I love my children far more than I love myself. I would die for any of my children. Most of my children. Okay. You see, the Easter week is called the Passion Week because it's declaring the passion of God for each one of us, His love for all of us, that He would allow His Son to go through that horrific death so that we might have life. That's how much God loves us. That's why it's called the Passion Week. The Scripture talks about God's love being four-dimensional, that it's high and deep and long and strong. And Paul says, I pray, Lord, I pray that you might have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high and how deep the love of Christ is for us. Because, you see, when we begin to respond to God's love, He enables us, first and foremost, to love ourselves, Because all of our tendency is, and boy, I see this day after day, week after week, month after month, all of our tendencies is to hate ourselves. We're very upset with who we are. We're upset with what we've done. We're upset for what we've not done. And we're caught up in this cycle. And we find ourselves having a very hard time of truly loving who I am. Oh, I can love the fakeness that I give you. But loving who I really am is so difficult. But when God comes into our life and we experience that born-again process, what happens is we finally find ourselves loving ourselves. I go, I actually like Lee. Wow. I love how God made me and how he works in me and through me. I literally love myself. And then what happens is I found when I began to love who I was, how God's love flowed into me, I began to love you. I was able suddenly to love you. Genuinely. Totally. Completely. God gave me a love for you. I remember that day I was, I was in a little church. I was 21 years old. It was in Germany, Würzburg, Germany. And the entire church was black except for me and my buddy. And there was about... 250 people, this sea, I was, it was just like being in Nigeria, sea, sea of, of black people. And I'm like, I'm thinking, you know what I'm thinking? You know what I'm thinking. What am I doing here? What, what am I doing here? I don't even like these people. You have to understand, I was a prejudiced person, very prejudiced. And I'm sitting there going, okay, God, I've come to know who you are. And I love you, but I don't get this. I don't want to be here. And the pastor began to speak out of Hebrews about faith. To this day, I remember it, 40-something years ago, by faith. By faith. And he went on and on. I got so enthralled in the message, I began to say, Thank you, Jesus. This is so incredible. It is so wonderful. And at the end, we all sat down and began to pray and the Spirit of God fell upon me in powerful waves and began to take away my prejudice and take away my hate and take away all those things that were destroying me. And I stood up and this young lady turned around and looked at me. She looked just like Hope Mares. Yeah, those of you that know Hope, you know, just beautiful black gal. 
And she walked up to me and she gave me this huge hug. And she gave me a big kiss. And I was overwhelmed by my love for her. I was like, oh my God, what happened to me? What happened? This amazing, powerful, mind-boggling, supernatural act of God that changed this mean, sick, angry person into someone for the first time in his life that loved somebody that up to that moment in time he thought he hated. Wow. The feelings that God began to produce in my life began to teach me about what love is and how it comes out. You see, I was born again. This wondrous thing. And I began to discover how long, how long the love of of God was. That it's so long it lasts forever. Regardless of my failures, regardless of my defeats, God always loves me. And I began to discover how wide it was. It, It was wide enough to be everywhere. There was no place that I could be where God had not already been. It was so deep that it could handle everything, every struggle and difficulty in my life. It was deep enough to handle all issues. How high it was, it was high enough to see everything before it happened and to warn me. And yet when I didn't listen, to still love me. His love permeated every area of my life as he enabled me to change and to love others. And the reason that happened was because of the scars of Jesus, of what he had done to himself I have an aunt who's deaf, and I love to tell you this story, and you guys have heard it so many times, because it's the only sign I know, okay? And she taught me how to, how to sign, and I'm just awful at it. I'm just awful at it. But one sign I remember so well, the deaf people hear Jesus in their heart, and how they hear him is like this. The sign of Jesus is this. Put your hand out. Put your finger here. Okay? Now turn put it over here on the other side. And then do this. And that's the sign for Jesus. The one with the nail-scarred hands. Father, speak to us today. Remind us of this truth as we watch this simple clip about your scars. Yeah. (laughs) You see, the scars of Jesus remind us of his love for us. I want you to turn to the person on your left and say, God loves you. Now I can turn to the person on your right and say the same thing. God loves you too. So the first epiphany of life, the first epiphany of being born again is this. God loves you. God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. Christ is risen. Good job. You guys are getting quicker. See, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And you see, that's the second epiphany that takes place in our life. And that's this, that God sent his son to deal with our sin. That God sent his son to deal with the power and the penalty of sin. That the gift that he would provide for us would be his one and only son, providing everything, everything to those who would respond to him, the gift that he would give to all would respond to his son's death on the cross for us. See, Jesus is the physical representation of God on this earth. 
Jesus never claimed to be a moral teacher or a minor prophet. He claimed simply to be God. God in a physical body. God in a bod. He clarified that he would give up this life that he had in this body so that he could defeat sin's penalty and power and so that all of us could receive new life. God sent his son to deal with sin. He said, I am the son of God and I will deal with it. And that's why he was put to death. When they asked him, who do you think you are? He said, I am. Who do you think you are? I know exactly who I am. Who do you think you are? That's the question of your life. You see, God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the cosmos at the trial of life. And the Bible teaches us that it was determined, and still is determined, for all of men and women to die once, and then they stand before the judgment. Now, God didn't make the rules of life and death, but He is the essence of those rules and the judge of them. So the Scripture says the wages of sin is death, both presently separation from God and then permanently separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, the question was, who can deal with the issue of death and sin? And Jesus was the only one who could. So God sent His one and only Son so that no one would have to die. He came to rescue, not to condemn. We were already condemned. That was the point. That was the issue. That was the struggle. We were condemned. So God sent us this wonderful gift of His only Son that all who would respond to Him would have their tab picked up. You were at the restaurant, you just got through uh, Fleming's and you got taken care of by Ken and you just felt so good and you reached into your pocket and you went, I forgot my wallet. And you thought, I wonder if I can sneak out through the bathroom door. No, you didn't. You thought, how am I going to pay for this? And Jesus walks up and says, I got it. It's all taken care of. The tab is done. You just go home and enjoy the meal that you just had. That's the cry of Jesus in relationship to the tab, the penalty of sin that had been placed in our life. It's called being saved by grace. Think of your life as a book like this. And it's got a record of all your sins. And each sin weighed one pound. Okay, one pound. Oh, no. <laughs> you kind of get the idea. And, and as you were being weighed down and life is weighing you down, it's getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And Jesus walks over and says, give me that. And he pulls it out of us, and while we're drowning in our sin, and then he takes us and he brings us up out of sin's power in that pool and raises our heads up and says, take a deep breath of life. (gasps) He says, I've done it all. I placed your book upon myself so that you could have freedom, so that you could have hope, so you could have joy, so you could have peace. All those things I've done, And that's what it means to be saved by grace. First heard that terminology, I thought this is a really big lifeguard gal that would come down and get you out of the water. It was saved by grace. You finally got it, didn't you? 
But the saved by grace here is this wondrous action of Jesus providing us with the opportunity to no longer drown in the pool of our sin, but to be released from that and to breathe life, to be born again. And so Jesus in the garden, in his last minutes of life, he's down on his knees crying out to God the Father and saying, God, Father, is there any other way to take care of this issue? Is there any other way to take care of this problem? Is there any other way to deal with the penalty and the power of sin? And the silence was strong. But he heard the voice clearly. There's no other way. And perhaps Jesus even thought, will it even work, Lord? Will it even work? Because Satan obviously didn't think it would. And the silence of the Father continued to be overwhelming. And as he went to the cross and gave up his life, just before he breathes his last breath, he cries out to God and says, Father, why have you forsaken me? As the sins of all mankind fell upon him. The Holocaust, the murders, the rapes, the horrific beatings and abuse of children. One after one after one after one after one falls upon the body of Jesus and is in anguish. He takes this sin upon his life because it wasn't the pain of the cross that killed him. It was the pain of sin that killed him. And that is why his last three words were simple. It is finished. The power and the penalty of sin from the beginning to the end had been poured upon his spirit, soul, and being. And now it was done. And God's gift would begin to be provided for first the thief next to him on the cross and then for all of mankind who would respond to him. God saved you. By His grace, when you believed. He did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. He sent to save all those through Him. You can't take credit for this grace. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. None of us can boast on it. It was God's gift from the start to the finish. It was the cry of the Father to Jesus. You have to do everything, Jesus. Everything. And so today... People ask me regularly, well, what's so big deal about Christianity as opposed to all these other great religions of the world? Let me explain it to you. The religions of the world are all set up telling you all the things you have to do in order to be good enough. And they say one after another, do this, do this, do this. Make yourself a martyr. Give up these things. Act in this way. Take care of these things. And if you do all those things, you might get into heaven. You see, religion is spelled D-O. 
what you have to do. But Christianity, amazingly enough, is spelled with the blood of Christ. And the spell is simply this, D-O-N-E. It's done. It's finished. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owed. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it and made me white as snow. You see, the cry of Christianity is that God did everything for you, and what you need to do is to respond simply to the truth of who he is. And this Easter day, the confusion shouldn't be confusing at all, because it's all about God loving you so much that he gave his son to deal with sin, so that all who believed and responded to him could experience a born-again a born again, a change in their very soul and spirit and being itself. You can be born again. That he had dealt with the penalty and the power of sin and that God loves you. Are we clearing up the confusion? Is that clear to you? Because it's so important that you understand this. If you choose to reject the gift that God provides, that's your choice. But you need to understand what it is that you're rejecting. And that's the last epiphany that comes in our life. And that's that God speaks to us and he says, clearly, you must believe and receive the gift. You must respond to the gift that God has given. God so loved the world, every one of you, that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him should never perish. Those who believe and receive the gift will never, ever perish. But those who reject the gift will be condemned forever. You see, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. But only to those who have responded and recognized what He's done because you've been born again and you see things totally differently than before. Before it was just a religious game. It was just a joke that everyone else was involved in. It was something you didn't really believe, but that one day when that happened, when you received the gift, everything changed. The free gift is offered to everyone. And we all cry out with one accord. I love the scripture out of here in Romans 15. It says, may the God who gives you endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the name of your Father and Lord Jesus Christ. You accept with one voice. With one accord. It's it's a cry that we heard this morning as the band began to sing. And we had Robin and Anne and and we had Pete over here. And they sang in completely different tones with one voice. And the harmonious sound was like, wow, that was cool. I wish I could do that. And God is saying, those who respond to Christ have the ability to cry out with one voice that is so incredible, so marvelous, that all the different harmonies come together, and God hears this magnificent sound that says, Jesus is Lord, that that Christ is risen, He is risen indeed. That's the cry that God hears. It's the cry that we make. And together we find ourselves joined together as one in the midst of that cry because you're my brother, you're my sister. And something happens to us. And we experience this love for one another that he desperately wants us to experience if we choose to take that final step. He says, if you accept, if you confess, if you believe, then the Holy Spirit can come into your life. 
put it this way. He said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. You see, you were meant to live forever. Your body will die, but your spirit's going somewhere. You get this brand new, marvelous, unscarred body that God wants you to have. The Bible says you're members of God's own family and He has reserved a place in heaven for you and He will make sure that you get there. All of God's children, guaranteed. All those who choose become His child who He as the Father will never, ever respond negatively to you. You see, God says all you must do to receive this wondrous gift is accept it. Well, I do have a wallet. It was in my side pocket. So that, and, you know... Uh, 20, I have a five. I'm going to use a 20. This is a $20 bill. And I might walk up here and, and I say, hmm, Mike, now let's say, Mike, I know that you have a $20 debt. In fact, you got more than a $20 debt, buddy. Yeah. But this will help you. And I'm going to believe that this is the only debt you got is $20. Okay? Now, I'd like to give you this to pay off your debt. Okay? You going to take it or not? <laughs> Sometimes we need a little help. Now, they're going to try and give that back to me later, and I'm not going to take it because, you see, that's a gift. God gives us this wonderful gift, and he says, this is yours. If you receive it, you gain not $20, not $20,000, not $20 million, but life eternal, something worth more than anything you can ever imagine. And that's the cry of Easter. Our past is forgiven. We have a purpose for living And we have a home in heaven. But this will only happen when you realize your spiritual bankruptcy. When you recognize that you've got nothing to give. And God says to you, I have everything to give. Reach out your hand. Receive it. Accept it. It's yours. You see, pain is always the precursor to change. It's the pain of Christ for gain in our life. And Jesus says, when you respond to me, when you recognize who I am and what I've done, it's going to be like being born again. Let me tell you something about birth. My wife said, four children, I was there for all four of them. It was painful on her part. (laughs) And it was painful on my part because she squeezed my hand and about broke it. My pain was minor as compared to hers. But when you give your life to Christ, it's a painful process. Anyone who tells you it's just simple and, it, oh, and Jesus comes in and then life is easy and everything just goes well, that is total baloney. Or use the term that I like to use but I'm not allowed to use here anymore because my wife said I can't. Crap. <laughs> I did it again. You see, what happens is we have this marvelous experience and God comes into our life and we are literally born again and he calls us to deny ourselves and begin to live life no longer for me but for you and for all those around me and to give up sin and and to live in a manner that pleases God. And it's hard. Oh, it's wonderful because I no longer want to sin but I still have to struggle against it. And that's what being born again and living in a world where others aren't is all about. 
Christ is risen. And that makes all the difference in life, in meaning, and in purpose. Some of you today have never responded to Jesus, and you're going, I'm kind of getting it, Pastor Lee. I'm beginning to comprehend a bit. What do I have to do? Well, what you have to do is fairly simple. You have to admit that you're a sinner. I want everyone to raise their hand who is a sinner that's here. Now, the rest of you are liars. <laughs> so you fit the bill. See, that's the beginning, and I like it. And you don't like it either. If you're a Christian, you really don't like it. You're like, this is so uncomfortable. But the next thing that says, we not just admit that we're a sinner, we need to believe that Jesus took care of the power and penalty of sin. That Jesus on the cross died so that I could live. That Jesus' blood shed on the cross provides me with forgiveness and the ability to have a relationship with God. When I believe that, that's the next step where I begin to move to that spot where the Spirit falls upon me in a marvelous way and I become what referred to in the Bible as born again. How many of you believe that Jesus died and rose again, that he took care of your sins? Okay. See, and some of you don't. You're like, I'm not sure I believe that. And there is the crux of the matter. And that's the cry of Easter. Jesus rose from the dead so that he could declare the simple fact that death could not hold him back, but he would take all people's sins and leave them in the ground with his old body that carried with it as a scapegoat the penalty and the power of all sin for everybody. So I'm going to ask the team to come up now as we close with a couple of songs. And I want you to think about that truth because it is truth. Jesus said, I came simply to speak to you of the truth, the truth of who God is, the truth of who I am, and the truth of what I have done. You see, God loves you, and He desperately wants you as part of His family. And he sent his son to die so that you could become part by responding to him. But it's always going to come down to your choice, to your final decision of recognizing who he is and what he has done and what you're going to do with it. And that's why I believe the last cry of an unbelieving Roman citizen, the governor at that time, was so prophetic Because he turned to the crowd and he used this simple sentence. He said, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? Father, we thank you for your word that reminds us of who you are, of who your son was and what was done. And we ask today that you might grant us that wondrous privilege of knowing you, of knowing what your son has done for us and then responded to him. Today, Lord, I pray. Once again, I remember that prayer some 40 years ago when you changed everything. And I said, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Please forgive me for my sins. I think you can do it. And I ask you to make it come about. And this day, this day I asked, make it happen. As only you can. Make me born again. Start the process. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As they play, listen. Think about it. And some of you may want to come on down to the front and pray with some people here. Whatever you want to do, that's fine. And then we're going to close the service up um, with an offering. And, and Pastor Eric will close us with a final blessing today, okay? So think for a little bit. 
as we listen to this song.